Good morning. You see our title and the text for this morning, Getting Ready for the Challenge, Nehemiah chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. As a side note, if you look on the bulletin on the back page, you will see a map of Jerusalem during Nineveh's rule as governor. That will help you in the coming days as they start to mention certain locations of Jerusalem. We'll kind of give you a reference about what they are talking about. What do you see when you look at our community, our county, our state, our country, even the world? When you turn on TV, you see all sorts of images, but what do you see? Do you see poverty? Do you see homelessness? Do you see discrimination? Do you see drug and alcohol abuse, child abuse? Or do you see people who desperately need Jesus Christ in their lives? Here's a video entitled, What Do You See? What do you see? What do you see when you look at the world? What do you see when you look at yourself? An insignificant speck on the edge of eternity? Or a unique, divinely created difference maker? When Nehemiah looked at the world, he saw destruction and violence and sin. But he also saw what should be. The walls of Jerusalem should be standing strong and God's people should be living in the city. When he looked at himself, he saw somebody who could do something about it. Because when he looked at God, he saw God, provider, protector, accomplisher of his purposes on the earth. When you look at the world, do you despair? Or do you see a world that has never needed Christ more than it does right now and therefore has never needed you more? Do you see this as an opportunity to make a difference? Like Nehemiah, you are uniquely created to do something that no one else can do. But all of the ability in the world and the talent means nothing if you're sitting on the sideline. God will rebuild the wall. And we have one or two options. We can either watch or we can join. Rebuilding, reconstruction, physical buildings, or even in our spiritual lives, renewal, restoration, transformation, all those kind of go together. As you rebuild, you reconstruct, there's renewal, there's restoration, and even transformation. But those are never easy. One of the largest problems that you and I face as we begin to rebuild and restore is that we want it to happen instantaneously. We want it to be rebuilt and restored 
immediately. But that's not how it works, is it? It does not work that way. And as we look to rebuild or restore, to renew, we must get ready for the challenges or challenge that we will face. Let's read the text together. Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 1. And it came about in the month of Nisan, in the twentieth year of King Artaxerxes, that wine was before him. And I took up the wine and gave it to the king. Now I had not been sad in his presence. So the king said to me, Why is your face sad, though you are not sick? This is nothing but sadness of heart. Then I was very much afraid. I said to the king, Let the king live forever. Why should my face not be sad when the city, the place of my father's tombs, lies desolate and its gates have been consumed by fire? The king said to me, What would you request? So I prayed to the God of heaven. I said to the king, If it please the king, and if your servant has found favor before you, send me to Judah, the city of my father's tombs, that I may rebuild it. The king said to me, the queen sitting beside him, How long will your journey be, and when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me, and I gave him a definite time. And I said to the king, If it please the king, let letters be given me for the governors of the provinces beyond the river, that they may allow me to pass through until I come to Judah. And a letter, and a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates of the fortress, fortress, which is by the temple, for the wall of the city and for the house to which I will go. And the king granted them to me because the good hand of my God was on me. Then I came to the governors of the provinces beyond the river and gave them the king's letters. Now the king has sent with me officers of the army and horsemen. When Sambalai, the Horonite, and Toviah, the Ammonite official, heard about it, it was very displeasing to them that someone had come to seek the welfare of the sons of Israel. Verses 1 through 2, we see Nehemiah's prayer answered. The month of Nisan, it takes place. And that's equivalent to our March and April time frame that we know today. And if you remember, the story began in Keslev back in chapter 1, verse 1. So about four months have passed since he had heard about the condition of Jerusalem. And during that time of four months, he was constantly praying and fasting, seeking God out. What can he do? What must he do? He had been praying this whole time so that when the opportunity presented itself, he'd be ready. You see, prayer and waiting go hand in hand. We must continue to pray and wait for God. As we get ready for the challenges or challenge that we may face, we must turn to God. Psalm 105 verse 4, Seek the Lord and His strength. Seek His face, not once, not twice, not three times a week, but continually seek God. It's not a one-time deal continually, every day. And you're familiar with this text, Philippians chapter 4, verse 6. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, 
Let your request be known to God. Don't get upset. Don't get anxious. Talk to Him. Seek Him by prayer and supplication, but always with an attitude of thanksgiving. We go back to our story. We, we see that he takes up the wine and he gave it to the king. Now, Nehemiah was the official cupbearer. It was his job to taste everything so make sure it wasn't poisonous or would hurt the king. He was very trusted by the king. I mean, you have to trust somebody who's doing that for you. You just want no one doing it. And now, he's been serving the king all this time. He was waiting for the right time to present his petition before the king. Now, interestingly, interesting enough, there's a biblical scholar named Williams that talks about Persian kings would have special feasts, that in those feasts they would show a time of a lot of generosity. Now, Nisan was the New Year for the Persians, so perhaps they were celebrating New Year. And Nehemiah, knowing the king, would show generosity during this time. And look what he tells us. He says, I had not been sad in this presence. Up until now, Nehemiah had been controlling his feelings. You see how the situation's starting to go? He's been in communication with God. So he's ready for the opportunity. Now we're in the new year. He's letting the king see his feelings. He hadn't shown any sadness. It gives the impression in the text that he wanted the king to see this. This was part of his plan of action. And the king goes, why is your face sad? You're not sick. This is nothing but sadness of heart. And look what Nehemiah says as a side note. When the king said that, look at the text. What does it say? I was very much afraid. Now we must remember when you act according to God's will, others will take notice. In this moment, Nehemiah was risking his life. The king might have become suspicious of some kind of plot. So you got to realize that Nehemiah stepping out here. He's been in communion with God this whole time. He sees this moment. And now the king says, why are you sad? And then you get to his request, verses 3 through 5, Nehemiah's request. Look how he responds in verse 3. Let the king live forever. Some translations may say, may the king live forever. And that was a common way of addressing the king. You know, you won't be nice to the guy. You don't want to make him mad. And he went on to say that he was sad because of the condition of the city. Notice that he says the condition of the city, the place of my father's tombs lies desolate, and the gates are consumed by fire. Now, such a description tells us that Nehemiah had respect for his ancestors, and he was ashamed of the condition of his native city. But notice he doesn't name the city. He doesn't talk about Jerusalem. He just talks about the city. Now, King Artaxerxes knew his background, but he carefully avoided saying Jerusalem. Nehemiah has shown his great ability in communication and diplomacy. This is the time that he would have the king's sympathy before going into details. And so after he says that about the city, he kind of pulls on the king's heartstrings a little bit. Talk about his descendants and this native city being all ruined. And he says in verse 4, what would you request? Obviously, he knew he wanted to request something. And now Nehemiah says he's going to listen favorably to me. This is the moment. And look what he says in verse 4. 
Last part. So I pray to the God of heaven. See that reference? Quick prayers are possible and valid if one has prayed sufficiently beforehand. As we use a church, we get together, we've been praying about a situation, praying and praying and seeking God and seeking God, and then that moment comes, and we say, okay, God, is this it? Is this the moment? Is this the one you want me, you want me to take right now? See how that works? This is also evidence that Nehemiah lived in constant communication, communion with God. He was completely dependent upon God's work in the king's heart at this moment. Lord, if this is the time, move the king's heart to listen to me and grant what I, what I want. And that reminds us as we face challenges, we must realize our limitations. Nehemiah knew that he was man's, God's man for the job, but he could just leave. This king was not known for his flexibility. He surely wanted one of his most trusted employees, if you will, to just leave and never know when he's coming back. But the point is, we're reminded in this moment that we cannot change people's hearts. Why do you think he stopped and said, I pray to the God of heaven at this point? And here in America, we have a lot of laws, policies, which is great. We should have laws and policies, but you cannot legislate someone's heart to change. It doesn't work that way. Only God can change hearts. See, God changes from the inside out, not from the outside in. Because once you change the heart, everything else will follow. God changes people's hearts. We need to stop trying to change people. Let people deal with them. In a moment, we're going to have an invitation. And it's called an invitation because it's inviting you to respond to God's Word. Don't worry about what's going on. You respond to Him. You give your life to God and let God clean it up. Quit trying to be, quote, good enough, unquote, before you come to God. You'll never be good enough. You'll never be good enough. Turn it over to God and let Him clean up your life. I've seen it happen. He will take a situation and turn it around. He will do things in your life you can't possibly imagine at this moment. In Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 6, it says this, The Lord your God will circumcise, a better way to translate that is change your heart and the hearts of your descendants to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul so that you may live. God can change that. What he's talking about here, the old law kept telling us what we're doing wrong. It kept breaking God's law. It couldn't, it couldn't fix the problem. The new covenant goes right to the heart of the problem, the heart of man. That's when you become a Christian, you're given a new nature, a new heart. Instead of running from God, opposing God, now you have that nature, you embrace the things of God. You run towards them. Now in verses 6 and 8, 6 through 8 in our story, you see the request granted. But notice in verse 6. There's a little piece of information that's not mentioned before. The king said to me, and here comes the queen sitting beside me. Now, why is he mentioning that? I must tell you that word, queen, in Hebrew, is not normally the word that is used to talk about a queen. It can, but that's not the normal word that's used. In Psalm 45.10, it appears to refer to a member of one of, the, uh, one of his harems. We don't know if she was official queen or not, who she was. But why is she mentioned? Why did Nehemiah mention this fact? 
Whoever this woman was, perhaps, just perhaps, she knew Nehemiah's cause and was favorable toward it. Now, he has a king asking what he wants. He has somebody sitting there that knows his situation, possibly in favor of it. You see how this condition, the situation all being orchestrated. And in verse 6, the king asks him, when will you return? He says, I gave him a definite time, but we don't know what, how much time. I don't know. Not a specific time frame ever mentioned. Now in chapter 5, verse 14, we learn that Nehemiah was governor in Judah for 12 years. Now I know he didn't ask the king in this moment for 12 years leave. <laughs> Perhaps he got there and built the wall and after the creation of the wall, probably within a year he contacted the king and then the king extended his time as governor. But he gets to his request here. Notice he's asked specifically. He's telling specifically what he needs. Let in verse seven, let letters be given me for the governors of the provinces beyond the river. Nehemiah had planned carefully, and he knew what his precise needs were. First, he needed letters for safe travel. Especially, let's not forget back in Ezra chapter 4, verses 17 through 22, the surrounding people had complained about it, and he gave a decree to stop all the work in Jerusalem. Nehemiah knew this, so he said, I better get some letters to show that I have support from the king, so I have safe travel. And he says, a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's force, in verse 8. By the way, that's, that's a Hebrew name. It must have been a Jew that held this position. Now, some take for granted the king's forest was in Lebanon. It must have been some type of official reserve somewhere, and it could have been Judah based on his name. And we know the time of Cyrus, the timber was set from Lebanon. That's Ezra chapter 3, verse 7. And look what he says in verse 8. He, he, he requests these things, and he tells us the king granted them. Why did the king grant them? Look in the text. Why did the king grant them? Because the good hand of my God was on me. He did the planning and the praying, but he gave full credit to God, to whom credit is due. He was thanking God and giving God the credit for causing the king to grant his requests. As it says in Proverbs 21, verse 1, the king's heart is like channels of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he wishes. And because Nehemiah knew this was a sure thing of God, he had no problem in accepting what the king offered. God often uses kings of different countries to accomplish his divine plan. And we see that in Exodus chapter 6, verse 1, Exodus chapter 10, verse 1, Exodus 14, 4, and Isaiah 45, 1 through 17. God will accomplish his will one way or the other. Nehemiah models good leadership. He prayed and he planned. He acted on total dependence upon God and submission to His guidance. God's work, our work and God's, our planning and God's work are not contradictory. Prayer is where planning begins. You need to plan and prepare, but that begins by seeking God first to find out what the plan is. Furthermore, research is not contradictory to dependence on God. Nehemiah knew the officials, who they were, and who he would have to deal with. 
So he was requesting the credentials he would need to get what he needs, save travel and some timber. Just because you plan doesn't mean that you're tossing God out the window. We must remember that prayer begins on, I mean, planning begins on our knees. Prayer is where planning begins. But God expects us to do our part. And I have to, just as a side note, we have committees. And those committees are charged with certain tasks. It's the committee's job to go out and do the research and present it to the church. Take, for example, the building grounds are looking at a project. They do all the research. They call, they get bids. They have it all lined out. And before our business meeting, we put out an agenda, hey, this is what the building grounds is talking about. Pray about this. So we all start praying about it. So we come together as a church. They present the they present what they've been planning. They do all the research. There's nothing wrong with that. That's what committees are supposed to do. Plan and research and bring it before the church and let the church know what we're planning on doing so everybody can be praying. Does that make sense? Sometimes we get locked down because we get to the committee and we get to a business meeting, we start talking about all these things. That's the committee's job, to do the research, to go out and see. See, as we get ready for the challenge, we need to have a plan of action. God gives us the vision and direction, but He wants us to do our part. Nehemiah knew how much time he would need. Nehemiah knew he needed safe travel. Nehemiah knew he needed timber. When God opens the door, we must be ready to go. Uh, Have you noticed something that's going on? People are moving this way. Lots of people are moving this way. I'm going to say that again. Lots of people are moving this way. We have to plan and be ready. Because when God opens that floodgate, we have to have people in place to meet those needs to have those ministries going. First and foremost, we need to be ready to witness to them about the gospel and disciple them. We can't wait till they all show up and go, now we're going, no, we need to be planned and prepared. Because God is going to open that door. We must be ready. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, Sanctify Christ as your Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense or an argument or explanation to everyone who asks you to give account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness or humility and reverence or respect. Nehemiah knew what he needed. He had prayed, prayed, he got the plan, he knew he was ready to go when God opened that door. Here's a perfect opportunity. Everything came together. He'd been talking to God for four months. And he went back and said, God, I prayed to God of heaven. God, is this it? And he went forward. You have to remember, sometimes we glaze over this. For him to make the request of the king like that, he could be killed for something like that. But God was there, moving the king's heart. And now we come to the last part, verses 9 and 10, action and opposition. We find out in verse 9 that the king sent army uh, officers of the army and horsemen. Now, Ezra didn't ask for a military escort. We're not told that Nehemiah did, but the king provided it. So he, he went ahead and took it. The significance is that by those people going with Nehemiah, it was showing that Nehemiah had the support of the king. Then he mentions these two guys, Sambalai, the Hornite, and Tobiah, the Ammonite. 
Now, Sambalat was probably one of the Beth Horns. It was 18 miles northwest of Jerusalem. He was more than likely the governor of Syria at that time. But listen to this guy. Tobiah, that's a Hebrew name. He was governor of Ammon. He was an Ammonite official. He could have been governor, but more than likely he was official under Sambalat's authority. Now, just bear with me. That family had influence in Ammon for a long time. Now, if you go back and look in Ezra chapter 2, verse 60, because remember, this is one long story. Perhaps they may have been the descendants of Tobiah, mentioned in Ezra 2.60, who were rejected from the community of Jerusalem because, quote, they were not able to give evidence of their father's households and their descendants whether they were of Israel. Can you see the plot blurring? Here's a guy who's been kicked out of the Jewish committee, uh, community, and now this Jew is coming not only not to rebuild Jerusalem, but to serve as governor and has support of the king, who he pleaded his case to earlier, and the king granted his request, stopped the building, but now they're going to start building again with this guy leading the way. Can you see how some people may get mad about this? It was pleasing to them, the text says, that someone had come to seek the welfare of the sons of Israel. Because early in the reign of Artaxerxes, they complained against the Jews, and he ordered that decree. And now here comes this guy. See, today, some are disturbed when God blesses his work. Ezra and Nehemiah, that whole story of both those books, reminds us that we should not fear that the work of God is dependent upon human attitudes. And as we get ready for the challenge, we must keep moving forward. Once God's opened the door, we cannot allow what people say to stop us. Anytime we're doing what God has told us to do, there will be opposition. And sometimes within the church itself. That's why prayer is critical. It's vital. Not only to draw us closer to God, but to draw us close to each other. That I pray that God will unite our hearts, that we'll become one body, brothers and sisters seeking His face. And when you have a church like that, you better hold on. God's going to move and move powerfully. And I see that starting to happen. But you know what? We have an enemy who doesn't want to see Forestburg Baptist Church do anything great. And he will stop at nothing to cause strife, backbiting, gossiping to stop the work. He's tried that a few times already in recent history. Has he not? And you're still here. Take the cue from Nehemiah. Continue on. Move forward. John 15, 20. The words of Christ. Remember the word I say to you. A slave is not greater than his master. Listen here. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. They didn't treat Jesus very kindly. Why should we be surprised if the world doesn't like us? Now, we have to do it in love. We just can't go out there and say, well, they don't care about us. We're going to do what we want. No. We have to love them as Christ does. We're involved in a spiritual conflict of cosmic proportions. What we're dealing with in the big picture is much bigger than you and me in this local body. It's it's cosmic. It's universal. 
But God's armor is available. And His victory is assured. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 11 and 12. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. When we get ready to rebuild and restore, we have challenges that we must get ready for and to meet. By turning to God and realizing our limitations. We can do everything we want to do here, but if it's done outside of seeking God, it will not go forward. It will not last. We need to have a plan of action and we must keep moving forward. During the entire process, it may seem like God is taking His time. But remember, it's always in His time. Keep praying and keep waiting. And we must be ready because He says go, it's time to go. Imagine me, Nehemiah, for a second. What he faced. We just kind of blow through the story sometimes and not really think about it. This guy was a human being like you and me. He saw the city that he loved and ruins. How would you feel if you came here today and the building was in ruins? Forestburg had been destroyed. How about your hometown where you grew up? How would that make you feel? Do you feel despair? Be broken? What would you do about it? There's so much here in Nehemiah for us to grasp and apply it to our lives. Look at our country. Look at the state of our churches in America. Tons of them closing their doors. Fighting over things of carpet and sealing things. We got to remember the bigger picture. We have to plan, but planning always begins with prayer. Have a plan of action and follow through. Do not give up. As I will tell you, when you start a new ministry or a new Bible study, it's hard to get it off the ground. You have to stay persistent. If one shows up, or 50 show up, you have to be persistent. And to make one more personal illustration, there's one, there's more than just one, but this one particular ministry I've seen a lot of things happen in, and that's our blast. You want to know what I see, big vision-wise? What could happen with that? I could see us going to full-blown summer program with those kids. Five days a week where you tutor them in school subjects. And then in the afternoon you feed them lunch and you go into like a little VBS mode like we do for Blast. Come up with a major theme during the summertime. And then what you could do, we installed showers. 
we can invite other churches to come be a part, sleep on air mattresses in our classrooms, take showers here, and they could do a week or two. And you're probably looking at me, Tim, that's crazy. God, but that, that's what I see. And I keep praying about it. Because that's God's will. He'll bring the finances. He'll bring the people that we need. Can you imagine running a program like that? What a difference that would make. And it breaks my heart when I look at some of the kids in our community and what they're going through. It breaks my heart when I see some of the adults who think they're locked in, that there's no help for them. They're doomed to live that way or have that habit forever. It doesn't dawn on them that they can be broken free of that. I'll tell them I'm not good enough to come to church. Neither am I. It's all because of Jesus. Nehemiah took great risk to his personal comfort and safety to do something about what he saw. I can't remember the, the, the title of this but the actor, Jim Conceivable, who's also a believer, he played Jesus in the Passion. He was giving a speech. I don't know who he was giving it to. And he was talking about for evil to conquer means good doesn't do anything. And how we, the church, the people of God, need to rise up and say this is enough. Or history is going to record with great astonishment that the people who had the most to lose did absolutely nothing at all. Before you get mad at Congress, before you get mad at the House or the Senate or the President, the Vice President, before you get all mad at our governor or our state legislators, you know where it begins? Go home, look in that mirror, and answer that question. What do you see? As far as I'm concerned, know what I see when I look out here? I don't know who's watching online right now. Look in the camera. I can only imagine who's watching. Well, I see, I see people who bear the image of the Creator, given specific gifts, skills, and talents to reach people to build His kingdom. We can either continue to complain, or we can move forward, planning, praying, and pressing on. Nehemiah had a huge job. Could you imagine? There was no tools in that day. And he had opposition. He knew the background. He knew what had happened. And yet he went anyway. It's an amazing story when you stop and really take it in. I wonder if Nehemiah knew that we'd be reading his story over 3,000 years later. That's where it begins. Quit letting the world define who you are and what you accomplish. Listen to your Creator, your Lord, your God. How many believers do we have in the house? Say amen if you're a believer. Oh, you can say a little heartier than that. Yeah, see? You're a child of God. You have the Holy Spirit living within you. 
as I drove home last night. I told God, I'm, I'm tired. I want to experience you like David. I want to experience you like Moses. I want to see a movement of God that I read in the history books at seminary. I want to see that, God, and I'm not going to let go until you grant it. So be it. If it doesn't happen, it doesn't happen, but I'm also going to try and do my part. That's what we need to do. That is our goal. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time we could come together. We thank you for your word. Father, I pray for these precious people that are here and for those who are watching. Dear God, I pray, break down the walls, break the chains, whatever it is that's holding them back, and remind them, dear God, there's freedom in letting go and turning it all over to you. Read the story of your servant Nehemiah that happened so long ago. And there's so many other stories we, we've read about, we've studied. Through the entire thing, Lord, you prove your faithfulness time and time again. You want to use us. You desire to use us. Father, grant these people your vision. Ignite their hearts. Give them passion. Grant us the love for others that you have. And as we see people come in contact with them the rest of this day and the rest of this week. Grant us the vision to see them as you see them. Precious creations made in your image that you sent your son to die so they could have a relationship with you through your son Jesus Christ and spend eternity with you in heaven. God, I pray that you continue to knit our hearts together as a congregation, as a body of Christ. We have a lot of challenges that face us. And from the human understanding, God, we don't know exactly how it's all going to happen. But this we do know. With you, all things are possible. We desire to be used of you in a great and mighty way. And we continue to look to you for guidance and wisdom. Father, I pray there's anyone in here today that does not know your Son as Lord and Savior of their life, they would give their life over to Him in this moment. Perhaps there's some here that have done that, but there's something stopping them. They're still holding on. Father, I pray that with your gentle hand and your loving Spirit, they will come to you and let go. Once again, we thank you and we praise you for this time. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Can you stand with me, please?